Welcome to In the Know with Erin Glow, a podcast bringing you information and inspiration from people in all walks of life. This is the Halloween special, part three. Hey guys, welcome to part three, the final part of In the Know with Aaron Glow's three-part Halloween special. In this final episode, we're going to be topping off our horror movie discussions with some of our personal favorites, as well as other favorite parts about horror movies in general, like lines and characters. And we're going to switch it up and introduce the rest of our categories, including paranormal vibes, campfire stories, True Crime Corner, and topping it all off by talking about some fun Halloween traditions. In this episode, we also have the highlight of speaking to David Howard Thornton. If you guys don't know, he plays Art the Clown in the epic horror movie Terrifier. It's already becoming a cult classic, and it's only a few years old. So we're going to be talking about that movie to him, about his future projects, and just other fun spooky topics with him for this Halloween. So stay tuned for that. And without further ado, let's get right into the final part of the Halloween special. Okay, so now I asked each of you to pick your top three horror movies of all time. And we already talked about all three of mine, (laughs) so I don't really need to talk about that anymore. But they are Scream, Halloween, and Child's Play. And I just, I don't know, they're just movies I saw as a kid. They're movies that represent Halloween to me. They're very popular, but usually I'm not one for popular things, but this works for me. So um, Derek is next. And Derek, you also picked Scream for your number one. I did. (laughs) Yes. We already talked about that. Um, Your second one is Bride of Chucky, one of the Child's Play sequels. Now, Bride of Chucky, uh, the plot of that is after being cut apart by the police, killer doll Chucky is resurrected by Tiffany, an ex-girlfriend of the serial murderer whose soul is inside the toy. Following an argument, Chucky kills Tiffany and transfers her soul into a bride doll. To find the magical amulet that can restore them both to human form, Chucky and Tiffany arrange to be driven to New Jersey by Jesse and Jade, who are unaware that their cargo is alive. So, really quickly, what do you love about this film? Why is it one of your top three? Uh, real quick, I'd just like to point out, uh, it wasn't actually cut up by the police. In Child's Play 3, he was cut up by a fan, just to point that out. But, uh, yeah, I just then think... Then IMDb I is like, wrong. Yeah, they got that wrong. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I just think, I like Tiffany, first of all. I love her character. I think Jennifer Tilly does a good job. And I also just, I think I like this Chucky look. Like, I like the good guy doll, but to me, the iconic look of Chucky is the stitched look and having Tiffany with him just kind of makes it. And now that child's play is kind of advanced with the animatronics, you can see him move more and talk. And it's just a little more fun with the comedy aspect, but still being creepy. And it's just always kind of been my favorite. Awesome. And then your number three was Halloween, the return of Michael Myers. And the plot of this was the apparently comatose Michael Myers is being transferred from one hospital to another but he wakes up when the ambulance crew talks about his surviving niece, Jamie. After slaughtering his attendants, Myers sets out to find his one living relative who is fortunately being cared for by a kind and resourceful foster sister named Rachel. Meanwhile, the ever cautious Dr. Loomis remains on the killer's path. What do you like about this one? 
Uh, a lot of things. There's a nostalgia factor there. There's nostalgia with all the Halloweens, but kind of this one specifically. And I also really love Danielle Harris. Uh, I think just for a child actor, how old she was, she does such a good job. And there's just an extra factor, a creep factor of not only is he now trying to kill teens, but he's going after this little girl who's his niece. And I love the relationship between her and her foster sister. And it's just I don't know. Something about it has always kind of clicked with me that I get so excited when I see it come on. Nice. All right. Thank you for that. Tony, yeah. first uh, top three movie. The first one you chose was Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Came out in 1988. It's a classic. The plot of that is when teenagers Mike and Debbie see a comet crash outside their sleepy small town, they investigate and discover a pack of murderous aliens who look very much like circus clowns. They try to warn the local authorities, but everyone assumes their story is a prank. Meanwhile, the clowns set about harvesting and eating as many people as they can. It's not until they kidnap Debbie that Mike decides it's up to him to stop the clown's bloody rampage. What do you like about this movie? Why is it your number one? Is it the cotton candy? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not going to lie. It's the nostalgia of it. I remember watching this as a kid and my mom gave me a bowl of Teddy Grahams and those are a thing. They're still a thing. And I remember just watching it and it was just so visually stimulating with the colors and, you know, I mean, it was scary, but I wasn't too scared. And again, it's a classic, classic soundtrack, goofy. It was, you know, I don't think the movie was supposed to be scary. I think it was supposed to, I mean, it has that horror factor into it. Now as an adult, I don't see that horror. I just see it as, you know, it's it's a nostalgia thing. It's a it's a classic. Hands down the greatest B horror movie of all time, I think. Oh yeah. Yes. I love that too. How it's funny how you just remember little details on moments that make an impact, like the Teddy Grams. You know, like you would never <laughs> think about that if you didn't like a movie and you just saw it what you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> exactly if it has good memories with it and I could tell you exactly I had a headache and my mom gave me some Teddy Grahams and it was a bad headache and she put on the TV and there was killer clowns from outer space and she's like I don't think and I'm like no I want to watch it and it was just a it, it was you know I don't want anybody to think that my mom let me watch horror movies on my own she always watched them with me I think she enjoyed them too but um yeah, it's it's the memories with it too, and again, it's a classic. I mean, that soundtrack, yeah, like the opening song. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about it makes me want to listen to it. Yeah, I just I I love you see that pattern where all of us we love movies because they're nostalgic. It doesn't even necessarily <laughs> mean that it's the best movie in the world. It's just something that we connect to because when we saw it. Yeah, if it means something to you, then that's a forever movie. Yeah, exactly. Your second pick, uh, so you put Child's Play, all of them. <laughs> mm -hmm. Is there like any one that you like more than the other or is it just kind of um, collective? <laughs> I like the first one, obviously. That was the, you know, the grand entrance of this little doll running amok. And it's kind of hilarious now that you're older and you see a doll just bobbling around trying to kill people. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, again, it's the nostalgia with it. I mean, it's one one of those horror movies I watched as a kid and you know it never really scared me it just it was entertaining visually stimulating um, when I got older I loved the story I loved the lore I mean Derek knows the whole entire voodoo chant 
Like it's, <laughs> it's captivating and, and it has a rhyme and reason to it as well. We know what happens. We know why he's doing it. We know how it happened and what his end game is and how he keeps coming back. And to me, that's satisfying because I'm still confused on why Jason is coming back. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's, it, it, I like something that closes it and they can always build onto it. Um, but my second favorite one is the introduction of Jennifer Tilly. And that is the bride of Chucky. Jennifer Tilly's amazing. I, I loved her in bound and all these other movies, but, um, yeah, Bride of Chucky brought it all back to me when it was released. I was like, oh my God, yeah, Chucky's a thing. They brought it back and it just brought back that nostalgia for me to watch the old movies. Right. Makes sense. And your final top three uh, horror movie is Hellraiser, which came out in 1987. And that's about when a woman discovers the newly resurrected, partially formed body of her brother-in-law. She starts killing for him to revitalize his body so he can escape the demonic beings that are pursuing him after he escaped their sadistic underworld. Why'd you choose that one? Now, don't judge me when I say this. I I like the beauty of it. If, If you've ever watched Hellraiser, Clive Barker is a genius. His world is yes grotesque and you know ugly gory but there's a beauty to it there's an elegance to it and i'm very attracted to that i'm very attracted to that kind of art like um the artist braun he does art like that and you know like the silent hill they do you know the monsters are very put together there's a rhyme and reason and yes they're horrible but they're also elegant in a way and i love it and the story is ongoing with hellraiser the story is ongoing and, you know, there's a whole whole lore about it that's beyond the movies. They have graphic novels. HBO is coming out with that new Hellraiser. I think it's HBO coming out with that new Hellraiser show, which I'm really excited for. And I just think it's a beautiful piece of work. Nice. Thank you for that. Now, Josh, you chose um, kind of collectives here. So you chose It, uh, both of them which we already talked about, but what do you like about it the most? Again, scared me shitless when I saw them both. Uh, (laughs) uh, It was, it's one of those like iconic Stephen King movies, which I absolutely love. Stephen King's a, a, a great writer and director. And he just, he brings that fear alive in, in any of him, anything he touches. Also, it's just about clowns and most people hate clowns and I love clowns. So, this one just happens to to be a you know an alien spider. Uh, <laughs> an interesting fact about it: Stephen King himself wasn't. It was initially hesitant about the TV movie production. He felt that TV censors uh, wouldn't be able to adapt to his work properly, uh, which I, I I found interesting reading about it. But yeah, the other movies you chose were the collection of Saw movies. The plot of the first Saw is two strangers awaken in a room with no recollection of how they got there and soon discover their pawns in a deadly game perpetuated by a notorious serial killer. Is there like a particular one you like more than the other and what do you like about them? Um, No, not really. I just enjoy the whole um, let's play a game aspect. I guess that's also the reason why I love the, um, what's that current thing? Squid Game. 
you know, just someone looking and watching their player play the game. And it's also just one of those things that you're at the edge of your seat the entire movie and it scares the living daylights out of you. Yeah, I just to add on real quick, I think a lot of people, when they think of Saw, they think it's just that gory torture movie. But if you actually dive deep into them, it's the most detailed thought of storyline in movie history. Like you have to really study and research and put all the pieces together to connect the dots. And then you find out like Jigsaw had like four accomplices that were like, it's just insanely detailed. It is. And I think the biggest fear factor of saw is it could be anybody who takes advantage of their life or their power or their money and it's he thinks of it as a way to you know like the whole reason why he does it is because i think his wife had a drug problem or something like that and so he kind of he wants people like uh what's that girl that he takes in as his apprentice Amanda amanda that's why he favors amanda there's a lot of lore to it, but you have to watch every single one to catch it. And there are Easter eggs in it. And I think that's what's scary about it is that it could be anybody. It could be anybody who takes advantage of their life could be put to the test for you to be grateful for what you have. And it makes you realize there's people out there that are suffering. You should be lucky you have a roof over your head, that you're sober, that you're doing great, um, that you're a kind person that you have enough money to feed yourself. You know what I mean? And that's what I like about saw. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, reading about it. Um, it was actually the whole franchise of saw was influenced by the Blair witch project, uh, which we talked about earlier. The co-creator said, um, for James and I saw began back in 1999 when we first watched the Blair witch project. I just found that interesting. Hmm. All right. Thank you for that. So we're going to go on to talking about our favorite scary movie that's based on a true story. We've already talked about a few of them, but I understand we each picked one that um, we like the best. So I picked The Exorcism Emily Rose. I saw that in the theater. Freaky. And it's even more freaky that it was a true story. (laughs) So supposedly a true story. The film is loosely based on the story of Annalise Michelle and follows a self-proclaimed agnostic who acts as defense counsel representing a parish priest accused by the state of negligent homicide after he performed an exorcism. Movie freaked me out. I saw it in the theater. I got out of the theater. It was like midnight. Yeah, freaky. What did you guys pick? I picked um, a movie called A Girl Next Door, which was a 2007 film. I wouldn't necessarily say it's my favorite, but it's one that stands out to me the most. What's it about? Um, it's about this girl named Meg and her disabled little sister who lose their parents in a car accident and are forced to live with her Aunt Ruth, who is just this vile woman. Um, she has a bunch of children and she's very just anti-woman. I think she had something in her past with the cheating husband, but she just hates women for some reason. And over time, she starts to abuse Meg and it gets worse and worse, starting with just like not feeding her food until it goes so far to the point where she ties her up in a basement and she encourages her children as well as the neighborhood kids to torture her and just do vile things to her. And there's just one little boy that lives next door that's the only one that actually has a heart and, you know, tries to help her. And it's just it's just a sad story, especially because it is true and it did happen and 
yeah, it's just one of those ones when you finish it and you get to the end, you're just like, man, you just feel bad. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Tony? Um, I picked, first off, I just want to say, good pick. I know that it's about the Lackins girl. Yeah. And please read the Wikipedia. That will haunt you. But the movie. Yeah, I didn't. No, go ahead. I didn't want to go into too much detail of what she was subjected to for our audience sake, but it yeah. was, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's not suitable for this type of video. Um, mine is The Devil's Knot or AKA Devil's Knot. Um, it's starring Reese Witherspoon and it's about the West Mem- Memphis Three. Um, it's, it's based on True and um, it's about three boys who were convicted um of murder of three little boys and um come to find out they were innocent and they were convicted only because they wore black they listened to metal music they were gothic trench coats you know it was basically a witch hunt in west of memphis and it's in the bible belt and the reason why it was so scary to me is because that was me that that was me back then i would i was a gothic person always wore black. I still always wear black, very dark person. Uh, I'm Wiccan. And one of the, um, one of the main characters, well, not characters, one of uh, Damien Eccles, he's, he was Wiccan and they prosecuted him against that. And they were convicted. And these were, you know, teenage boys who lost 18 years of their lives because of this. Wow. Sounds interesting. Devil's not like K-N-O-T, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's The investigation's still going on. It's based off of uh, Paradise Lost documentaries and uh, West of Memphis, which is on uh, HBO Max and Amazon Prime. And yeah, if you're interested, give it a watch because the investigation is still going on. Three innocent boys were set to jail and there's a man that's free out there that hurt three little boys. Wow. That's wow. terrible. All right, Josh, what's your favorite? There is a movie called The Rite of Exorcism. Um, It is a tie-in-based movie, and it's actually a really great movie. And it's all about this priest that goes to a home that's being called from the Vatican because there's this young woman that is possessed. And uh, one of the things, uh, looking into the movie and looking into the backstory of the movie, is when you go into an exorcism, you have to be sound of your own faith. Because um, if not, that demon will use that against you. So that's what basically happened. And it turned out like the priest was like messing around with women and all this other stuff. And basically the priest um, wasn't able to do the exorcism. And they had to call someone else. So I would say that would be my favorite. Um, yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, movie that freaked you out. I will say, Derek had me watch this recently, The Strangers. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's very realistic. It just makes you, like, scared to even be home. Usually it's, like, when you're home alone, but this is, like, when you're even home with your partner, you need to be scared. So that's all I'm going to say about that one. What about you, Derek? Mine is kind of a... I don't know if it's technically independent, but I think it is. It's called Grave Dancers. Um, and looking back <laughs> as an adult, I kind of see it's a little stupid and it doesn't creep me out. But I remember as a kid, it just terrified me. It, the way they made the ghosts look with their like practical effects, it's just 
especially the the axe murder at the end floating down from the ceiling just literally sent shivers down my spine as a kid. <laughs> Essentially, Grave Dance is about these group of friends who dance on a grave while drunk and it unknowingly unleashes a curse on them to where the grave that they dance on now comes back to haunt them. Tony? Um, it would be the fourth kind. That movie petrified me. Like, I, I can't even watch it to this day. I watched it once and that was enough. Just, like, quickly, what is it about, like, in one sentence? It is a found footage film, also mixed in with, you know, the movie that you have the actress Mila Lokovic, I hope I said her name right, playing the main character on the left side, but on the right side, it's the actual found footage, and it's about the fourth kind, which is um, aliens who abduct you, and um, it just scared the hell out of me. Wow movie that freaked me out the most would be Friday the 13th. And that was only because my dad would make Jason chase me out of the haunted house with a chainsaw. What? Um, and I would cry and piss my pants uh, every year. And I knew it was coming every year and it would still happen. Uh, so that that's the reason why it would freak me out the most because I lived a small portion of it. Wait, so you had someone dressed as Jason come and chase you? Yeah, so he worked at a, a haunted house um, in Farver, Mass, and uh, I think it was called like the Thirteenth Floor or something like that. And it was it was downtown, and he did security for them. And every year, this guy would chase me around with a damn chainsaw, <laughs> and I can yeah. see your dad doing that. I can see your dad doing that. Yeah, one hundred percent. He's that much of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, I can that's see his so dad doing that. Disturbing. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm picturing his dad. I'm sorry. I- I'm picturing him <laughs> running away, scared shitless. Piss on his pants. Okay. All right. Next up, weirdest horror movie you've ever seen. I have two. <laughs> Tusk and Human Centipede. Not going to say more. <laughs> oh, my God. I just watched Tusk the other day, and I was cursing you in my house. Like, Erin, she made me watch this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I, although, I'll say Human Centipede and Human Centipede 2, just because <laughs> I, I, you almost got to respect it. Just how, how do you think of that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and I I just think the disturbing factor, too, like, it's so, like, weird and, like, just out of left field. There's a moment where you stop and think, is this even possible to do to a person, like, in real life? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The weirdest horror movie I've ever seen would have to be Sleepaway Camp. Can never heard of it. Not a lot of people have, but if you're, like, a horror fan, I'm pretty sure you've heard of it. Why is it weird? It's the, it's Sleepaway Camp is a very weird movie and it's a must see if you're you know a horror fan you have to see this movie. The reason why it freaked me out so much is because nothing is what it seems. Hmm, sounds weird to me. Josh, the weirdest one. You've seen the Human Centipede. <laughs> yes, I have, and that's yeah. I, okay, I'll agree with Aaron. That is that is just weird. <laughs> All right. Favorite horror movie line. Mine is from Scream. All right, it's don't 
Don't go in there, Jamie. <laughs> Jamie, look behind you. Look behind you. Behind you. <laughs> okay, that's from Randy from Scream. Derek? <laughs> Mine is also from Scream, and it is, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Hellraiser. Pinhead, and he says, ah, the suffering, the sweet, sweet suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have never seen the movie, have you? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's <laughs> the original, I think, but that's about it. Oh, you gotta see the others. Josh? My favorite line would have to be from It, when it goes, we all float down here. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I don't. I, I can't do that. I can't do that. Just to throw out some more horror movie suggestions as we get to the end of this part of the episode, um, I'm just going to throw out some more that I like that I think people should watch: The Shortcut, Tooth and Nail, The Boy, Hereditary, and Last House on the Left. What about you, Derek? Uh, I want to mention Pumpkinhead. Dr. Sleep, which is a sequel to The Shining, and both the original and the remake version of The Crazies, and you need to compare them. Hmm. Is that a homework assignment? Or you <laughs> no, it's just, to me, I think the, the remake for The Crazies is the perfect way to do a remake. It has enough of the original to where fans will recognize it, but they change enough to where it still seems like a new movie. I will take your challenge. <laughs> Josh, any other horror films you just want to mention that people should watch? My life story. No, just kidding. <laughs> Jesus, I was like, really? I'm intrigued. What is this about? And it's about I don't you, know, isn't it? Movie too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't know any. All right, Tony. The Shining, a horror movie for you to watch is The Shining. That movie is amazing. The Exorcist too, right? Um, The Shining, The Exorcist. Go to classics. That's my advice to anybody. Go to the classics. Okay. And the final thing we're going to touch upon in this part of the episode is our favorite villain or killer in a horror movie. And I am just going to be very cliche here, but I don't know. I just think he's a perfect killer. Michael Myers. He freaks me out. He's a regular man who can become a monster all by putting a mask on. Has the knife. That's all he needs. He's just he's a very... It's accessible to anybody. Anybody could do that. That's what's freaky about him. And just the way he doesn't talk, he doesn't run. That's a big thing, too. He doesn't ever run, but yet he's still terrifying. That's like, that's a talent right there. Uh, Tony. Freddy Cougar. Nice. Josh. The stupid clown. It. Derek. Who's your favorite villain killer? Uh, yeah, my favorite one that I picked is one that I think is pretty underrated, not necessarily your stereotypical pick of Chucky or Michael, but it is Art the Clown, specifically David Howard Thornton's portrayal from Terrifier. I just think he's the creepiest clown or creepiest killer in movies. It doesn't say a word. He just invokes fear with all of his facial expressions, his mannerisms, the way he walks around. It's just terrifying, pun intended, but he does a fantastic job at it. Yeah, and you introduced me to Terrifier, I think, last year, and it was just, I don't know, he you're exactly right about that. He's really creepy. And um, I think that's a great moment to segue and introduce our special guest, 
Uh, like Derek said, he plays one of the most amazing killers in cinema history in the movie Terrifier and the upcoming Terrifier 2. <laughs> he's also played the Joker in the web series Nightwing Escalation, and he's played other roles in series like Gotham and The Bravest Night. So we're so excited to welcome David Howard Thornton to the show. Thanks for being here, David. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the compliments as well, Derek. Of course. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being art. It's such a flatterer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're a perfect guest to have on this Halloween-themed episode. So we're so thrilled to talk to you because you are one of the cre- – well, you play. You're not, not, not you, but, you know, your character is one of the most creepy characters, I think. So we want to ask you a few questions about your acting and horror movie experience. Sure, sure. Sounds good. Awesome. So first, how did you get into the journey of acting and how did the role of Art the Clown and Terrifier come up? Oddly enough, I got into this whole journey of acting doing church theater <laughs> <laughs> in like Alabama. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I, I've gone full, like, you know, the, the full spectrum there. <laughs> <laughs> I've played Jesus. Now I've played like one of the ultimate evils. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So yeah, I I went from doing like church theater, like school theater to community theater. And then I moved up to New York and started pursuing as a real career. And it's taken decades. (laughs) It's just like a lot of just hard work and perseverance and a lot of dumb luck. I mean, even terrifier came down to pure dumb luck for me because I had been up for, um, several different Broadway tours that all fell through for me at one, for one reason or another. And so I went in for my first film audition with Terrifier. And I thought, oh, he, he sounds like a fun character. This might be a good way to just get my foot in the door. And, you know, because I was like, it's a low-budget independent film. I don't even know if anybody will even see this thing. So I was like, ah, it'll be good for a real and it's experience. So, so I went in there and got the role. And I was like, wow, this is great. Then it apparently just took off. And I was like, oh, this is we didn't ex- expect any of this. So it's just like, yeah, if I had gotten any of those uh, other tours, I wouldn't have been able to do this film at all. And it totally changed my life. So a lot of luck was involved there when I thought I had like lost out on roles. I had actually won. <laughs> Talk about versatile acting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's the funny thing too. Is like, you know, I, I'm now known for playing the silent character and like most of my career I've done like a, all the characters I've played have been all these crazy voices and stuff like that. Cause that's, that's always been my bread and butter. I do over 200 voices and about 20 different dialects. And now I'm known for being silent. So go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My next question for you uh, was going to be, if you had any creative freedom in terrifier, it seems like a character like that would really benefit from having some sort of improv, at least with the facial expressions and stuff like that. I, I did. It's um, it's Damien and I didn't know each other before the audition, so he didn't know my style of acting. And I like to play around on set, or like when I'm doing uh, like rehearsals for plays and everything. I like to just experiment and see what I can come up with, and you know, improvise a lot. And so there's like when we were doing the diner scene, that's when I really got to play around a lot because Damien was like, I don't even know what I really want with the character here with all the you know the facial expressions. Like, yeah, why don't I just film you just making a bunch of facial expressions and we'll see what works? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I just played around for about five minutes, just making tons of faces, and they forgot to tell me to cut because I I, I guess they're so busy watching me doing face after face after face. So I'm like, well, I think you got enough options now, guys. So. <laughs> 
And I, I think that's when like Damien and I really realized what we could do with this. So we, we just like, I would come up with ideas for things and he's like, yeah, let's try that out. So we would do different takes on scenes. So we'll do like more serious takes. And he was like, okay, now do something funny with it. See what you can come up with. And like, um, a great example is that of, um, where I just got to play around a lot was, um, the Buffalo Bill scene. We shot two different versions of that scene where I come out wearing the skin suit. The one is like how you see it. The other one, I come out with the baby doll and I'm using the, I'm like puppeteering the baby doll and the baby doll is telling you where she's hiding and everything like that. And I also had like suckling on my boobs and stuff like that too. It was just, it was really messed up. It was very messed up scene. I, 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 I would love it if he could actually release that version one day just so people can see it because it's, it's totally different than, you know, the other version, but it's equally creepy. <laughs> but I mean, that's translated well into like part two because, um, when he was writing part two, Damien now knew what my style was. And so he deliberately wrote a lot of scenes into part two where he, he didn't even really write out what was going on in the scene per se. He's just like, okay, arts in this situation. And he plays. And this is one of the scenes where we're like, okay, we're not going to know what we're doing until we get onto set that day. And I see what's going to be in my environment, what I have to work with. And then I would just make up my own routines. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, 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 I love it. I love, it's, it's a great relationship we have because you know, sometimes Damien knows exactly what he wants to a T. Yeah, he's, he's really good at coming up with scary stuff. I'm more better suited for the comedy, at, <laughs> you know, like the comedic aspects of it all. So it's just like that's why we work so well together. We just play off of each other that way. And it's like we experiment a lot. It's like, yeah, we'll just like let's do different options and see what works best. I, I, I guarantee, like, you know, Terrifier 2 is, you know, if if he released everything we filmed, <laughs> it would be like four or five times longer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it would be like a 10-hour film. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the process like to become art and get into the costume and all that? Uh, it's pretty easy for me. I'm not one of those method actors, so I don't sit there and act like art all day which I think everybody's <laughs> very happy that I don't. <laughs> it's like, I, I'm just pretty much myself. I know how to turn the character on and off is like, I understand them. So it's like, as soon as they say rolling, I, you know, I take like a second or two just to get the character for a second and I'm ready to go. But like the makeup is what takes the longest. It takes about, I mean, originally it took about three to four hours, but we've gotten it down to about two to three hours now. It just depends how much, you know, blood and damage I have on my face and stuff like that. So it's, uh, and I, I think we're getting even better with that because um, we're, we've been experimenting recently with a new uh, mask instead of this gelatin mask that we have been using that takes forever to put on and falls apart very easily. If it gets just slight moisture on it, we're, we're trying to go to a foam latex mask, which seems to go on so much easier and holds up so much better. It just takes longer to make it, you know, for Damien on his, his part, you know, but oh, I think we used to like maybe a one or two scenes in part two, but we started using it at conventions and I, I like it so much more. So hopefully that's going to cut down the time in the next film. Nice. So cool how they can do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you uh do you have any like funny stories that happen when making Terrifier? Because even though it's a pretty gruesome movie, it seems like with all the practical effects and makeup, there could be some things that happen that aren't supposed to. Oh yeah, I mean there was there was a lot of goofing around on set. I mean you'd think something that where so much horrible stuff is happening on screen that there'd just be like just the most depressing set to be on. But there's a lot of just silliness, like especially the night where I'm wearing the Buffalo Bill suit on. I was like, you know, I, I was. I was trying to keep everybody in good humor since they had to look at my butt all night. So I'm like, I'm so sorry. So I was making up songs about, you know, butts and, you know, singing those. And 
like uh, the night where I'm riding the bicycle around was definitely a silly night because uh, I just kept falling off that thing. Like the crash you see in the movie is a real crash. <laughs> so, it's that kind of stuff. But probably the funnier, the, the funniest uh, thing that really happened was uh, one night is when we're filming um, the scene where Tara gets shot in the face and they're doing that with Jenna at the time. And so I was in the holding room. It's about maybe two o'clock in the morning in Trent, New Jersey. And I'm in full costume makeup, got blood all over me. I'm just sitting there waiting. And I, I hear these two women arguing outside of the the building. So I'm like, okay, I got nothing else to do. I might as well watch this Jerry Springer-ish argument go on. And so went over there and totally forgot how I looked. And one of them looks up and sees me in the window. And I just wave at her. And she screams. The other woman looks up and sees me then. And she screams, go running off. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, about 10 to 15 minutes later, um, the whole production crew comes in. They're all kind of giggling to themselves. I'm like, hey, Dave, we got uh, someone here that wants to meet you. It's like, just don't come out until we tell you. And I'm like, oh, cool. Who came to visit? Because I... Our, our, our uh, producer was working on another film at the time with Tom Sizemore. So I figured maybe he had come to visit the set or something like that. I don't know. So I'm like, okay. So I'm hiding behind this like roll up garage door until they tell me to come out. And so when they do, I come out and I'm coming up and I'm greeted by about 15 of New Jersey's finest in full on riot gear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like they're ready to go to war and it just, there's, I'm just dead silence. And I'm like, Oh my God. And so I'm like, what can I do to defuse this situation? So I just squeak out this little, what's up guys. <laughs> and there's still this dead silence for a few seconds. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is where I die. I'm going to die by firing squad here. This is going to be like the ending of like a uh, uh, red dead redemption or something like that. <laughs> it's just, it's like, Oh God. And then they all just start laughing their butts off. And they're like, yeah, man, be glad you weren't the first one to come out here because we would have shot you on sight looking like that. And I'm like, yeah, I believe you. And and this is something that has now happened in every horror film I've done where I almost get shot or cops get involved. Like when we're doing part two, there's a scene where I'm walking in a building and we're filming in New Jersey again. And – I'm coming inside, I'm covered in blood and people are on their way to work early in the morning. And so apparently someone saw me walking across the street like that, called the cops. And so I'm sitting there in this building, the cops show up and like, we hear there's a clown coming in here covered in blood. And I just lean forward and go, hi, officer. And she's like, oh, wow, I totally see why we were called now. She's like, you're, you're filming a movie, aren't you? I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> And I've been also working on this other movie called Stream with a lot of the Terrifier team. And we were shooting in um, uh, a hotel in Gettysburg earlier this year. And we thought the hotel had told everybody we're filming a horror film there. And it's like late at night and I'm going down the hall stalking my victims and stuff like that. have blood on me and stuff like that. We're doing it over and over and over and over and over, of course. And all of a sudden, this woman comes out of her room and yells at us like, Whatever you're doing is very effective. We are Second Amendmenters, and you almost got shot. 
and I'm like, oh my god! And, and she had shown us like the the videotape she had taken through her peephole of her door of me just walking by, and it's like this scary thing. So I'm like, oh my god! I totally see why I almost got shot and why she was so scared. I mean, she was like behind that door with a gun in her hand, ready to kill me. And I was like, oh my god, that's crazy. But I'm like, I, I just could not believe the hotel did not tell people we were filming a horror film there. I'm like, how? <laughs> How did you, how? He's like, people are going to get scared seeing this stuff going on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. What can you tell us about Terrifier 2 and, and when can we expect it to come out? Do you have a, I know that it says 2022. Is mm -hmm. there like an official date yet or anything? Uh, we, we don't have an official date yet. Um, it's right now in color correction. So once we are done with that, then um, Damien is going to start shopping around to distribution and stuff like that. So once uh, we have distribution behind it, we'll know the dates finally. And I think that's when we're going to release a real trailer and everything like that for it too. But I mean, like we're, we're hoping for early next year, we want to get this thing out soon. It's just like, I, I think there's such a demand for this type of slasher right now. I think everybody's hungry for something good again when it comes to slashers. <laughs> and it's just, I, I, we can't wait to release this thing. It's a beast of a film. It's far grander and bigger in scope and size and length than the first film. It's, a, um, it's right now it's clocking it at over two hours long. It's huge. <laughs> and we've tried to cut things, but there's, there's really nothing we can really cut at this point without it impacting the rest of the film in some way because everything's connected. And it's like, oh, well, you know, people are used to, you know, three hour long Marvel movies and stuff like that. I think, you know, as long as we keep the audience entertained and engaged, they're going to be fine with the length. It's just like you just keep them happy. And this movie is not dull by any means. It's a constant roller coaster ride throughout the whole entire thing. I think the biggest lull in the movie, just so you can catch your breath, is maybe seven minutes long, and then it's back to something crazy happening again. So it's wow. it's it's bigger in scope all around. Definitely bloodier. <laughs> Definitely bloodier. <laughs> wow, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's like I I already hear people talking about the eye gouge scene in the new Halloween Kills movie, and I'm like, ah, hold my beer. <laughs> if, if you like that hold my beer <laughs> it's like i'm gonna put i'm gonna put michael myers to shame <laughs> it's, it's like, i i think just the first five minutes of the film itself would probably get an nc-17 rating because the, the kills are just crazy in this thing i mean we we have one kill in this that um originally we, we started filming it right before covid happened and what we had filmed was already really good. It was just the beginning parts of the the, the the kill. And even one of our crew members, who's a huge horror movie fan, had to excuse himself because he was getting nauseous. He's just like, I, I can't watch this right now. Oh, and wow. we scrapped that because COVID happened. We're like, well, we have more time now to really do this kill big. So why don't we just take the time now to actually build these prosthetics and go back to the drawing board and just go all out on this kill? So what was supposed to be just like a two-day shoot for this kill scene ended up being almost a week-long shoot because there are just so many practical elements to it. It's basically art just mutilating a person for about four or five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. And just... <laughs> 
it's just what Damien, when he, as soon as he, he shot it, he wanted to go back and edit it. And he was so excited. So he's like, he saw the rough cut and while he was doing it, he got nauseous felt like editing it. And he, he let his family see it for Christmas. And they were just like, who are you? <laughs> this is it's, so I, I think it's going to be a very controversial scene because of just how gruesome it is. I think we're going to get a lot of hate <laughs> from people because, like, this is just gratuitous gore and just, but it's entertaining at the same time because it's art doing his art thing while he's doing this horrible stuff too. So just it's insane. Yeah, <laughs> I wow. can't wait. We, we've already shown it to some of our. our our extras and stuff like that and stream and everything like that. Just because, you know, Damien likes to gauge people's, you know, reactions to see, okay, is this what people want? And everybody was losing their shit over this. We even, cause we have a lot of big name, uh, horror stars also in screen, uh, stream, not scream, stream. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to confuse the two, but, um, <laughs> but even we showed like people like, you know, some of these like Jeffrey Combs and stuff like that. They're like, Holy crap. <laughs> So it's just like, it, it's going to be nuts. It's going to, it's going to be, I think, you know, and everybody wanted this movie to be out sooner. We wanted it out sooner, but it's like, it's one of those things that just, since we're an independent studio, it takes a little bit longer to get things out. And we didn't want to rush things. We didn't want to, you know, put out a half-assed film. We wanted to give the fans what they want. And I think we're going to serve that up in spades. I think this film is going to make, part one look like a concept film It's just, <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's just, yeah. I think it's just going to blow the first one out of the water. I'm like, cause it's not just art. It's, it's building up the secondary, the, the new um, protagonist Sienna in this, that she's just absolutely an amazing character that Damien has had in his mind for even longer than he had art planned out in his head. It's just, it's a character he's wanted to bring to life for a long time. It's very, you know, Ellen Ripley type character that is, is a great, you, you see her journey. She's not a perfect character, not a perfect person. Doesn't come from a perfect family. There's a lot of issues there with her as well, but it's like, it's someone that can actually go toe to toe with art and, you know, can put up with his tomfoolery, I guess you could say. So, it, I, I'm looking forward to everybody seeing this thing. I, I appreciate everybody's patience. It's going to be well, well worth it. <laughs> nice. It sounds like it. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm stoked. <laughs> we are I am too, yeah. stoked. Especially after seeing some some of the stuff that's been coming out recently. It's like, oh, oh, just just wait, guys. Just wait. You think that stuff's good? Just wait. Just wait. Oh, just wait. <laughs> This one's probably a pretty easy question, but how was it working with Felissa Rose, a screen queen like her for Terrifier 2? Oh, Felissa's great. I mean, like, we became really good friends at all the conventions that we do. So, like, Felissa's just a wonderful ball of fun and just warmth. And she's, I, I everybody loves, I, I don't know anybody that does not like being around Felissa Rose. She is just a wonderful person to be on set with and, and, and just, be friends with it's just like i understand like one night she showed up while they were filming stream and because she's in stream as well and I, I wasn't there that night but it was late night and she shows up with just bags of mcdonald's for everybody she's like <laughs> hey i thought you guys were hungry <laughs> it's just like she's just so very thoughtful very caring very funny person to be around that's awesome yeah 
Uh, my next question is kind of a two part and you already answered it. You said you don't really do method acting and get into the role like that. But right. uh, I ended up watching a part of the Nightwing escalation, just mainly your Joker scene. And again, you mm-hmm. kill that. You just seem to have an actor just playing these psychopaths. So do you just enjoy <laughs> those roles? Is it just something that's fun? or? <laughs> It's just fun for me. I, I I don't know. I've always been able to throw myself into roles that are the opposite of myself. But especially if there's like a comedic element to it, I can really find something there fun with them too. So it's like I, I'm not really the brute. I'm more like the the smart, uh, mischievous type of villain type of guy. That's that's what I like to play. Yeah. Yeah, your Joker laugh is on point. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've worked hard on that over the years. I'm still working on it. That's that's, that's a character I'm constantly evolving and playing around with. I'm not like I'm dying to actually play him in like a a bigger setting than just a fan series. I really want to play him, especially on a TV series, because a movie would be fun. But like a TV series, you can spend so much more time with the character and fleshing him out than you can in a two hour movie. Yeah. Now, just to throw this random question in there really quick, you talked about Terrifier 2 a little bit. I know in the first one, it was one of those movies that didn't really have like a plot Mm -hmm. line so much as like, you know, a a background story or anything, but it was still entertaining, which is awesome. (laughs) Like, it's hard to do that. Is there, is it different with Terrifier 2? Like, is there actually a storyline? Oh, yeah. Or is it kind of just... Well, that's that's funny that you say that about Terrifier 1, like no plot. There actually is a plot. People just don't realize what it really is. It's basically the same plot of the killing joke. It's about how one bad day can really reduce a sane person to lunacy. And that's what you're saying. You're saying what, what made uh, Victoria go crazy and like kill this host. She had a horrible, horrible day. (laughs) (laughs) It's a horrible night for all these people. And it's, it's just starting the whole like, um, mystery of who art the clown is. And that's what we wanted to do is put the audience in, the perspective of the victims like what the heck is going on it's yeah. like you don't want to yeah. know why he's doing what he's doing but i i think like the uh, the cat lady summed it up very nicely it's like yeah he's just doing it because he thinks this is funny it's fun for him yeah. it's yeah. like it's like yeah you don't have to have some kind crazy tragic backstory he's just I, I think that's what makes him scary it's like yeah, he's just doing this because it's fun yeah. he just sure. loves to like break people and maim people and kill people it's just it's, it's, he's like the anti-clown where he does you know the clowns are there to amuse people and bring joy and laughter to people he's there to bring misery to other people just to amuse himself yeah and that's what i like about him but yeah part two is definitely has more of a story there's a there's a he has motivate more i would say more motivation this second one as well you know it's like i mean we're really building up the you know this new protagonist but there's, there's a reason he's going after this character but we we don't also don't like to just um flat out just explain everything we we right. like to think our audience is smart and could put things together themselves so we, we I, I i always believe in more of a show don't tell type of thing yeah yeah, and you, uh, what you said about how it, it is creepier when there's like no motive really, just for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it reminds me of this. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen The Strangers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and at the end, they're like, oh, well, just because you were home, that's why we're killing you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you, you were home. No one else was home, so we decided to come kill you because you guys were home. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the creepy idea. It's like, oh, God, just like it could have been anybody. Yeah. And that's how it was with these girls. It's like it, it, it could have been anybody. It's, 
they were the people he came across that night. And it's like, and they just started making fun of him. It's like, okay, you're dead. Uh, <laughs> yep. That scene in the, the, what is it? Was it a coffee shop or a cafe? That's like one of the first. Uh, the pizzeria. The pizzeria, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. It was originally supposed to be a cafe, but um, since both of the actresses were vegetarians, we decided to make it into a pizza place so that, you know, they, they had more vegetarian options. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and burgers and fries. So, yeah. Cool. All right. So we're just going to kind of wrap up with a quick round of quick answer uh, Halloween themed questions. Okay. So uh, top three horror films. Oh, boy. <laughs> um. I gosh, that's hard because I usually do my top five because I I'll say my top three would be like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, Dream Warriors, maybe the original Halloween, yeah. and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original one. Mm-hmm. I just love those three so much. It's a good cool. answer. Certainly, <laughs> Omen, Exorcist are up there. I mean, Child's Play series is up there. Scream series is up there. I'm like, there's so many good ones out there. Yeah, so many good ones. Oh yeah, yeah, all the classics. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite Halloween costume you've ever dressed up as? Oh my god, uh, I think probably one of my favorite. One. I have I have three. I'll give you my top three. One of them was this um, mummy costume that I, I dressed up in. I moved to this new neighborhood in sixth grade, and my mom spent all day tearing up bed linen so she can make um, the, the the wraps for the mummy. And I had it all safety pinned to me, the, but it was constantly falling off of me. So every house I went to, I was asking if they had safety pins as well. So I was constantly just getting more and more pins. And I was, <laughs> and so this is my introduction to the whole entire neighborhood because we had just moved there like two or three weeks earlier. So it's like, hi, everybody, I'm your new neighbor, and I need pins where I'm going to be naked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had long johns underneath, but still, it's just like, yeah. So that was a fun one. I would say my second favorite was my um, Ninja Turtle costume I had. It's like back in when I was in fifth grade. I was so excited. But I, I had this uh, paper mache shell that my parents had made for a church sketch that was way too big for me. But I demanded wearing it for my costume. So I, all you saw was this giant shell walking around the street with like, you'd see these nunchucks like swinging around or something like that. And <laughs> I was constantly falling over in that thing. I would get, go on my back and I would just literally like a turtle on its back. It's like, help, help. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was constantly picking me up. But oh. I would say probably my, my favorite one was, I, I was when I was like, God, I had been like, Geez, first grade, maybe kindergarten. I was just, I was really excited. I was trying to be creative. I couldn't decide between two costumes. I wanted to be a werewolf and I wanted to be a ghost that year. So I combined the two and made it a werewolf ghost where I had the body of a ghost and the head of of a werewolf. And I thought it was the coolest thing because like my mom got this really cool makeup kit that actually like made me look like a real werewolf. And I had just so much fun just going around and scaring people with it. And you know, so I was like, yeah, this is great. I, I thought I thought I was scary. I, I don't really know if I was scary. <laughs> I would just constantly chase people. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Because my next question is actually, do you believe in ghosts? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, we have a ghost that haunts my apartment. It's just we have stuff happen here all the time. I've seen stuff, heard stuff, felt stuff. It's just all kinds of weird stuff. I, I, I recently got to go um, when I was doing a convention down in Kentucky. I got to go to Waverly Hills Sanatorium, and that was really cool. We had a lot of crazy stuff happen that night. Saw stuff and heard stuff. I mean, saw full blown apparition go through our guide. 
it walked right through him. It was, it's like, once you see stuff like that, you just, yeah, you believe it's just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what causes it all. I don't, you know, I, I feel like maybe one day science will explain what's going on. I mean, I have my different theories about what it is like energy left over, or maybe it's just like the multiverse theory or, you know, something like that time collapsing on itself. Who knows? Yeah. All right. So last question here, and this is probably the most important. <laughs> What's your favorite Halloween candy? <laughs> oh my gosh. I I would say either a Kit Kat or a Twix bar. Oh, classic. Nice. Classic. Yeah. They're just so good. Or a hundred grand. Those are all three of them are so good. They're so good. <laughs> yeah, and they're always when as a kid I remember when you would get the full size bars was like the best. Yes. <laughs> oh, and Reese's Reese's too. Oh my God, Reese's Pieces, oh, yeah. especially. I love Reese's Pieces or Reese's Cups. It's just like, oh my, just those, those types. It's like anybody that would give out like the generic, like the the, the strawberry things or like the the the, the butterscotch. Yeah. Or, you know, so I, the the I had the dentist that lived behind me for a few years when I was a kid, and he would just give an apple and a toothbrush to everybody. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> And I never wanted to go to his house, but we had to since he was the backdoor neighbor. So I was like, ah, I don't want to go. I don't want an apple. <laughs> ah, I want candy. It's just like, yeah, we, we always bought the good candy at my house, too. We always at least got the Hershey packs, you know, the, the mixed pack yeah. or something like that. Because that's, that's the good stuff. Yeah. Not that just bland, generic, ah. <laughs> yeah i mean I, I don't know if you got these too the generic potato chips in the little white bag just said potato chips and oh no we, <laughs> i never had those though i occasionally got the people that give out the wax lips too oh. and, I, and i i always thought i could eat those and i'm like these are so flavorless these are nasty why i didn't realize it was wax i was eating wax yeah. and i'm like i feel so stupid but every year i was like oh maybe they'll taste better no <laughs> what is this this is a throwback i remember those too wow oh yeah you don't see those anymore no there's a reason for it they taste like shit yeah <laughs> or like the little cigarette packs the Oh yeah, the candy, the candy cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. They yeah that they allowed to sell those anymore. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. Yeah, that that was an eighties before, you know, eighties and before thing. I think. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. Kids today have no idea. Have no idea. <laughs> All right. So, where can people find you online if they want to check you out? What your what your projects are? Oh yeah, you can find me on like uh, Facebook or Instagram under David Howard Thornton, and that's. Basically, it. I'm, I also have a cameo page under David H. Thornton or something like that, too. So if you want me to do a shout out for a birthday or something like that, I can do that as well. Yeah, and they're awesome shout outs, too. <laughs> you they make are. them very personal <laughs> and, and fun. And yeah, your Christmas ones are awesome. You like mixed Christmas and Halloween. <laughs> like. <laughs> I do what I can. I do it. It's like I just kind of play around with. I, I like it when someone gives me something really fun to work with too. Is because I, I have my generic things I can do for birthdays and stuff like that. But I like it when someone's like, "Hey, I want you to do this." I'm like, "Okay, cool. <laughs> Give me something new to do." Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right, so thank you so 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 much for being here with us and letting us chat with you for a little bit for our special Halloween episode. Ah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's been so. Much thank fun you for having me. Of course, and we can't wait till we see you again in Terrifier Two, and everybody should check oh, it out. Oh, I 
can't wait either. Both Terrifier 2 and Stream because um, a lot of the Terrifier team is also working on Stream. Damien's doing all the the practical effects for that. So the gore is going to be great in that. we got a lot of, you know, legends from horror films and that, like Danielle Harris, Jeffrey Combs, Dee Wallace, uh, Felissa Rose. The list goes on and on. So it's going to be fun. Yeah, I haven't heard of that one. I'm gonna have to look it up after this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 in development. We're almost done filming it. Cool. Wow. All right. Well, happy Halloween to you, David. <laughs> Thank you. Happy Halloween to y'all as well. Uh, do you have any plans for Halloween? Any costumes this year? I am going to be doing a convention that weekend at Chiller, and then that that Halloween night, I'm doing an appearance at a Fright Factory, in where we filmed part of Terrifier Two. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, so those those are my plans. Sounds perfect. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's awesome to chat with you again. You're welcome. Great chat too. Okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. On to the next part of our episode, Paranormal Vibes. So in this part, we're going to talk to Josh a little bit about his paranormal uh, experience. So Josh, why don't you let us know what exactly you do, how you got involved in it, and any cool story you can tell us about your experience. Yeah, absolutely. So probably about 16 years ago in the basement of a friend's house, Tony, which is here on the podcast with us this evening, a bunch of friends was like, hey, you know, we should go like to a cemetery or or so on and so forth. So we went out to St. Stephen's Cemetery. We didn't catch too much uh, stuff while we were out there. So it, it, it just snowballed from there. We found we are the founders of the Bridgewater Paranormal um, Society and Investigators. You can find us also on Facebook with that. The story I want to tell basically is from a... It was an old military academy in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And we went down there. We were invited down there by the, a general that oversees that property. And so we took a trip down there. And the first night that we were there, we went into like the gym area. And the reports were that they were uh, seeing a little girl there and different things like that. So we usually bring a bunch of things with us like toys and balls and stuff like that. So everyone was in the room. I ended up sitting down on the floor and I was like, hey, do you want to play with me? And I paused and then I like rolled the ball across the room. And as I rolled the ball across the room, it stops, right? As if it, as someone's stopping and not as if gravity is stopping it. And it gets pushed back with force towards me. And this happened like four or five times. We just went back and forth, back and forth. I, I guess that's like one of the, like the top 10 things that I've witnessed or been a part of. What I like about the field is that it is a science. The people that are in the field for the science of it is that we're there to prove that this other realm or other dimension or other spirit or ghost or however you want to call it exists. I I guess that's the reason why I got involved with it because of past experiences within my life or things that have happened to me throughout my life, things like that. So that's the reason why I got involved. And then of course, Tony got involved, our friend James and Jamie, Tony and Lisa, and we just formed this group of friends that would 
go spend nights in cemeteries. We've gone to Fort Adams. You know, we've been to Mount Hope Cemetery in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, where there's the Dancing Jesus. Um, well, talk about that for a second. The Dancing Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> the Dancing Jesus. The legend goes is that there's a statue in um, Mount Hope Cemetery in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, which is part of the Bridgewater Triangle. Kind of going back to what the Bridgewater Triangle is. It's like the Bermuda Triangle, but for paranormal stuff, for like Bigfoot and UFOs and stuff like that. It's a very active area. It spans uh, most of southeastern Massachusetts and goes to almost the border of Connecticut. So uh, I actually wasn't there for that, but they decided to go. They got permission and all that. But the legend goes that there's this statue of Jesus, of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And if you stand back from it, it moves its arms and it dances. Wow. So if you look up North Attleboro Dancing Jesus, I'm sure you can find it on Google, uh, photos of it and stuff like that. It's an interesting thing. I, we didn't get any photos of that that I know of. We got pictures of the statue, but not of the phenomenon that happens. My biggest warning is those that want to get into the paranormal field, hook up with a team that is already set up and ask to intern, ask to, you know, hey, can I be your gear you know, runner or something like that just to get your foot in the door? Or, you know, if you want to start your own team, just make sure that you're asking permission to go on to these cemeteries or land or, or things like that. Because if you don't, it ruins it for the rest of us that are there for the science and to prove that that realm or spirit or ghosts exist. Right. As opposed to some like teenagers who just want to get a scare. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, we talked earlier in the segment about the Blair Witch Project and how, you know, they were saying that it was true and then comes out that it wasn't, so on and so forth. Those are things that in the paranormal field, we kind of steer away from because it gives that impression of, oh, okay, all you need is a camera and go out. It is many different things. You know, before I go out uh, into a paranormal investigation, you know, I have a set of prayers. I, I say that spirits won't follow me home or, or negative entities will not attack myself or my team. So there's a lot of steps into it because you don't want a, a negative entity attaching your, themselves to you. And then all of a sudden you're bringing that home to you and your family. That's just not a thing that you want happen. And as for paranormal shows and movies and documentaries, there's a ton out there. There's Taps that are in Newport, Rhode Island. There is uh, Penn State Paranormal, which is uh, out of Penn State University um, with Ryan Bell and Chip Coffee and Bishop uh, Long. They're all great guys. And then you have shows like that are on A&E where they start to instigate the entities and, you know, some, there are some times that you find yourself in trouble where you're not going to be able to get out of it. So, you know, really be careful in what you do. Dislikes, there's a lot of paranormal shows out there. They're just for the money. They're not there for the science. You know, they're not there to help the person that has called you 
to come to their house because, you know, they're having issues with a, a poltergeist or a negative entity or, you know, they just want their house cleared because, you know, they don't want to be living with lights turning on and off or cabinets opening or knives being thrust across the room or stuff like that. You know, there are a lot of TV shows and movies that are just there for the money that shows the field in a very negative way with BTPS we are 100% non-profit. We do not charge anything for all of our services. If someone wants to donate to it, that's fine, but we do not charge. How do they find you again? Uh, they can find us on Facebook at the Bridgewater Paranormal Society and Investigators and just join. You answer a few questions and you know we'll let you into the group. There's about 650 people in there. And then if you run a paranormal team that's out there and you want to join the uh, society, go for it. Just add us on Facebook and we'll gladly let you guys in. Cool. And is there like a favorite moment that you have that ever happened to you doing this stuff? The favorite moment would have had to been actually here in Denver. I went with uh, a great friend of mine, her name is Mythica Von Griffin. She was actually on Skin Wars. We went up to a town. I don't remember the name, name of the, the valley it's in. But the child actually had like medium abilities. And the child had opened so many portals in their home that stuff was happening. But the child didn't know how to close those portals to the other side. So we actually went in and assisted the family in you know, closing those portals and clearing their home so, you know, their kid can sleep and be a kid instead of being woken up by these entities, you know? Yeah. And just the gratefulness of that family. Like, I still talk to that family. They're on my Facebook. And every once in a while, I pop in, oh, how are you doing? And they're like, oh, we're doing amazing. Like, da-da-da. Like, nice. I guess that's the gratitude from it is why I do it. Right. I'm just yeah. curious because I always hear different things about this. What do you think about Ouija boards? Because I don't heard touch that em. that's really dangerous. Don't yeah. touch them. Never touch them. If you right. touch them, we won't help you. Yes, that that is one thing I do not mess with is because using a Ouija board opens a portal that you cannot close very easily. Someone that's been in the in the field for 16 years. I'm not even able to close that very easily. So, you know, it's not a toy. It is not a game. You know, they sell it in the, in the game aisle and they don't know what they're selling. You know, right. just don't mess with them. <laughs> Good advice. I've learned, you know, doing this with Josh, never ask for anything. If you think that there is a spirit in your house, and I'm a strong believer in this and not in the biblical sense, um, that's all Josh there. He's the one who does the prayers and stuff. Do not communicate with them. I know it could be comforting. I am guilty of that. I talked to my grandmother who recently just passed away. I know better, but don't because that could open up other things. Because usually if there's a um, malicious spirit that is lingering around, it could see your weakness and it will grab onto that. And, you know, demons are tricksters no matter which religion you believe in or even if you're spiritual you have to come clean that you know demonic spirits they're tricksters okay really quickly do you guys have like a 
paranormal case that you find the most fascinating? I guess nationally, there was a, a beautiful woman, Laureen Warren. She passed recently, God rest her soul. She actually would take in demonic or possessed dolls uh, into her home and to be able to basically keep them safe and secured so those entities weren't able to get out. With her passing, now her son is in possession of those and carries on that mission to keep those families safe. So I find that interesting and inspiring. So like Ed and Lorraine Warren? Is that who you're talking about? Yep. Oh, okay. Cool. And, and I, I guess she just gives me that hope that there's still people out there willing to help that people can go to that have, you know, these possessed items because an entity can attach itself to almost anything. The biggest thing is when you go yard sale shopping and you have an old piece of furniture, you know, you definitely want to cleanse that before you're bringing that into your home. Um, yeah. Or if you go antiquing, cleanse those items before they come into your home because you don't want to have that open, you know, that energy. open up portal or energy or have that entity come into your home that you do not want. Would you use crystals to cleanse them or some, you, some other way? You can use, you know, there's many different ways. Um, I use sage and peyote. There's also smudge sticks and different ways. If you don't know, just Google search paranormal team near me. And I'm sure they will gladly help you out. Just make sure they're not charging you money to do so. Okay, great. Tony, anything else before we go? A paranormal case you find the most fascinating? Anything to do with asylums. Because I feel like there's a lot of unfinished business. And especially asylums from the 50s, 60s, you know. I'm not talking about new asylums. I'm talking about asylums where they were mistreated. Right. Cool. Thank you for that information. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so brace yourself because we're going to take a break for campfire stories. The stories you are about to hear are true and could be quite disturbing, so listener discretion advised. So when I was a kid, I had an imaginary friend, and I vaguely remember what he looked like. I think he would wear a red hood, like a red hooded sweatshirt and jeans. And I'm not sure if that's something I concocted myself from watching like E.T. or something. But I vaguely remember him and he would follow me around and he was like a kid that was, I think, a little bit older than me or around my age. And he would follow me around and talk to me and I would tell people not to sit on him. And he would just always be around. and. He told me his name was Brian, and uh, we would talk, and he'd play with me, and he just became like this vague... When you're a kid, you see things, but it's hard to remember when you're an adult, so it's kind of like that. Eventually, he went away. This was probably when I was around three I saw him, and then he went away like after a year. Years later, years later, I was listening to something or reading something about imaginary friends, and thinking, okay, okay, it says, you know, sometimes imaginary friends are people who died who come back and they want to just get close to you again or want to let their family know they're there or something and um i was like well i didn't know any brian's that died when i was a kid like i don't it just like it didn't click so i said oh that's weird as time went on something came up and i remembered my mom 
She had a, a friend who had unfortunately had three kids who died in a car accident. And she was telling this story and, and I remember her talking about it. And most of them were older than me. She was like, oh, there's a little boy too. And I was like, well, how old was he? And it fit the exact description. And she was like, his name was Brian. And it was right around the time they died that I saw him like when I was three. My story is, I don't even know if it's really a scary story, but at the time it was for me. Um, it was like the worst nightmare I've ever had in my life. Um, and looking back on it, it's so stupid, but as a six-year-old kid, it was terrifying. Uh, I'm a big fan of professional wrestling, and one of my favorites uh, was Kane, who was this, his whole gimmick was he was burned in a fire as a kid, and he wore a full bodysuit and a mask, and his brother's with The Undertaker, and I remember, I think it was like June or July of 2003, so I was like, yeah, like six. He had a match where if he lost, he had to unmask for the first time, and I remember when he did it he pulled his mask off and like you can only see like the back of his head and then he turned around and you know as a six-year-old kid it i bought it i thought he was this burn victim his hair was all like half shaved and he had burns and he had like a marilyn manson contact so he only had like one eye and it just looked creepy and was terrifying to me then he just snapped and started attacking his partner and i was so shocked and i remember that night i had a dream where I walked into my grandmother's room, uh, like her bedroom, and she had one of those closets where it, it like slides open, but like the full thing is like a mirror, so it was like just one giant mirror, and I, I remember turning and looking at the mirror, and as soon as I did, my whole face was like deformed and burned. It wasn't like necessarily Kane's face, but it was the same aesthetic, and I literally, it was almost like watching a movie or playing a game with like vibration on the controller and like the whole screen just shook and I literally in my dream shook and then I shook in real life and woke myself up from it and that's never ever happened to me before or until then and it just terrified me I woke up just petrified from it me and uh Josh we went to um Fort Adams in Newport Rhode Island to do an investigation there and it was a day before Halloween so if anybody knows Halloween the moon is at its highest so the veil in between the dead and the alive is very very thin so we went there and we did an investigation there with our group and another group that was there we went into the catacombs where the explosion went off there was an explosion that happened there to a bunch of irish soldiers that were based there in the fort and um it was pitch black, no lights, no electricity or anything in there. And we're sitting there and we're trying to communicate. I was standing next to my friend Tommy and my friend Jamie was next to Tommy. So Tommy was in the middle and me and Jamie were on the sides. And in the middle of them filming it, mind you, pitch black, all night vision, I feel something like a finger go down my spine. And I was like, okay, you know, who's screwing with me? And in the recording, you can see me turn around and look. And, you know, of course I can't see, it was pitch black. And then Jamie felt the same thing. And then Jamie felt somebody grab her hand, so she grabbed Tommy. Then I felt like a whole hand resting in between my shoulders on my back, going straight down. And then it just stopped there. But I could still feel the pressure of it. And that's when I grabbed Tommy. I was like, all masculinity out the window, hold me. I was like, you know, that that's weird. 
And while we were walking out of that session, going into another room to do another session, Lisa, who was Tommy's wife, all of a sudden you hear a just that. And we're like, what 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 the hell is that? Um, Lisa got slapped. And we didn't know what was going on. Again, this was total darkness. And when we looked at, you know, the other paranormal team was recording it. And when you looked at it, nobody was near Lisa. Nobody was near Jamie. Nobody was near Tony. And it wasn't Tommy doing it because Tommy had his arms around our arms, you know, trying to keep us close because he sensed that we were scared. He didn't get touched, but I got touched. Jamie got touched and his wife got slapped. And it almost ended me, you know, I didn't want to do it anymore. It was so real. And I have this saying, you know, if you're in my house or if you're around me, you can move things around. You can turn the lights on. Just don't touch me. Just, I don't want you to come near me. You can show yourself. You can do whatever. Just don't touch me. And it did. And that's when, you know, Josh started doing the prayers so things wouldn't follow us home. It was really bad. There was a lot of negative energy there. There, The other team had a woman that was bawling her eyes out because she felt the exact same thing. And yeah, it almost ended me doing paranormal stuff because I was so petrified afterwards that I brought something home with me because I could still feel like the hand pressure in between my shoulders. You know, after a year or so, I got over it and, you know, I said, well, I wanted proof because that's what all hunters do in the beginning. You want proof and you want to help people ease their minds. But I wanted real proof at this time as our group was growing. This was it. And it scared me to death. And that's when I say, you know, make sure you know what you're asking for. And it made me totally believe. And yeah, that was the most scariest thing that's ever happened to me. So the first time I met, I guess my spirit guide, the spirit that basically followed me halfway across the country, which is amazing in itself. He's an old, old gentleman. Think of a grandpa. Like, you know that grandpa that wears the knitted sweater that has the tie on, wears the khaki pants, the old loafers, that type of grandpa. The first time I ever saw him was when we lived in North Attleboro, uh, and he would sit on my chair because my desk was near my, my bed. Uh, he'd sit on my chair and he'd read me stories. So I'd fall asleep having a bedtime story. And then when I moved here, he's followed me. My roommate, Emily, that is on the other side of our, our basement where our rooms are, has seen him. You know, uh, when she's having a rough night or, or a stressful day, he'll go and, you know, sit on her bed. She's woken up because she's felt something sitting on her bed and she'll wake up and she'll look and he'll be sitting there on her bed, you know, with a book. And it was funny because when we were just having a conversation, the light over my left shoulder, which is my living room light, started to flicker because I was like, oh, I'm going to tell this story. Um, And it was kind of like one of those like, he's always there when you need him. He's always there on a stressful day. Um, and he kind of keeps all the other riffraff in check. And yeah, 
Yeah, and what's interesting, so a while back, I was like, hmm, I wonder. So I grabbed a bunch of pictures of just old guys, and then I threw a picture of my grandfather into the mix of photos. And I asked my roommate, I said, you know, here's a bunch of pictures. Does any any of these look like him? And automatically she goes, oh yeah, he does. And it was the picture of my grandfather. All right, next we have True Crime Corner. So in this segment, we're going to talk about some of the most fascinating true crimes to us. So I chose one that's very popular. I chose it because I thought it was just crazy the way the whole story unfolded. My fascinating true crime story is the story of the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. Obviously, you guys probably have heard of that a few years ago, and I think it was like 2005. You had this girl lived in, I think it was Alabama, went on a, a high school class trip to Aruba, met a guy there in a bar. All of a sudden, she doesn't come back. She's not on the plane to come back. Her mom's like, where the hell is she? They find this security footage of her meeting the guy, dancing with the guy. And her friend said she got into a car with the guy and they never saw her again. She didn't show up to the hotel. Nothing. So it was a very tricky case because it, the poor mom had to go to Aruba to figure all this out. Because it was in another, you know, it was on this island, it was just like, they made it so difficult to get anything. And then the suspect's father was a judge there. So it was, it was like they were covering it up and she just didn't know where to go. And it, it, this story just went on for years. They never found her body. They can just suspect maybe she was in the water. Maybe he burned her. Maybe um, they dug you know, a hole in the backyard. It just, it was crazy because... It wasn't just that. It was after a few years, you know, they couldn't get the guy because they couldn't find a body. He couldn't go to jail, couldn't charge him. The mother went there. She begged him, tried everything to get him to talk. He wouldn't do it. Then all of a sudden, a few years later, I think it was, I don't know if it was like five years to the day or something like that, he meets another random girl, I think at a casino, and they find her dead in the hotel. He obviously did it. He went to jail for that one. I think he's still serving time in jail for that one. But he still has not gotten anything for the other girl. Now, I heard he also has a baby in jail, which is crazy to me. It's just like this kind of stuff. I just thought it was so crazy how it's like he gets off scot-free, doesn't have to do anything, and then he goes and kills another girl. That And it was so obvious he killed her. There were security cameras there, showed him leaving the hotel room, blood everywhere. Like, if you're getting away with a crime, and then you go and kill somebody else, and don't try to hide it, like, what kind of a person does that? So, do you guys have any takes on that story? I just thought that was the weirdest, like, I mean, it would have been one thing if she was just disappeared, never found her body, but the fact that he goes and he kills somebody else, and then that's how he goes to jail? Well, yeah, I think he got married in jail, actually, if I'm not mistaken. Too. Yeah, yeah, and then he had a kid, yeah, which is that's just a whole other story, but Well, that's the thing when it comes to murderers is if um you get away with it once, you kinda get cocky. Um he got cocky too soon. You know, like Ted Bundy fucked up and you know, John Wayne Gacy, they get cocky. 
And, um, but it takes a while for them to get cocky. He got cocky too soon. That was his issue. Not condoning what he's doing, but it seemed like he thought he had, you know, all the power in the world and these poor women didn't because his daddy worked as a judge. But don't you think like if you're going to kill another girl and you don't like he didn't do anything to like try to cover it up. He just killed her oh, yeah. left the hotel room yeah, and tried to flee. But it was like if you're going to it just he did it in a place where he got caught so easily. It just blew my mind. I'm like you did like it's I mean, obviously you're innocent until mm-hmm. proven guilty. But come on, all the signs are there that he killed Natalie Holloway. And then you have this other poor girl, and he goes and does it again and doesn't even try to cover up his tracks. It's like, I just think that's, you're already insane to begin with for doing this, but it's just, it was a stupid move. Like, what are you doing, buddy? You have like all these people on your side who are trying to help you get away with this, and then you go and you just kill somebody, and there's no way to get out of it. Like, all the proof is there, and her body's there. He got cocky. Yeah, he got cocky. Do you have any theories as to what happened to her body? I think it's just in the ocean. Didn't they search the ocean, but it took them a long time to do it, right? Well, yeah, but you you know how many bodies are probably in the ocean? Like, it, if once it's there, it's gone. Like, you can't... 70% of the ocean's undiscovered. Like, you're... Yeah. Okay, Derek, what did you choose? The story that I picked is one that irritates me a lot and just not a lot of people know about it because it's just not a big one. If you Google it, the only things that pop up are a support group for Facebook and some change.org things. There is a YouTube video on, I believe, uh, I don't know, one of the true crime type, uh, I think Crime Watch Daily. Um, It's the case of Carrie Owsley, spelled C-A-R-Y-O-W-S-E. Uh, L-E-Y. And it is about a man who is believed to have committed suicide, uh, according to the police and the coroners. But when you analyze the entire situation, it's pretty evident that he was murdered and everything was covered up. Um, Prior to his death, he and his wife had been fighting over money. Um, He'd been writing about it, I think, in his diaries, and he was having problems with her children. His family was aware of this and they were trying to get him away from her, I think. Fast forward uh, some time later, she calls the police and very calmly tells them that her husband shot and killed himself and it doesn't look like he's breathing. He's been depressed lately. And one of the deputies that arrived on the scene and helped clean everything up was off duty at the time and happened to be Lisa's ex-husband, which is the current wife of Carrie. The coroner then arrives and immediately rules it a suicide as it's just a shut and close case, doesn't examine anything. They help remove the evidence. I think they cut up the carpet. They removed the rocking chair that he was in. Um, They didn't even send his body to the morgue. They didn't get an autopsy. His mother demanded one and they refused to do it. Um, When his, I think his daughter went up to the coroner and said, why won't you do this? Why won't you get an autopsy? He just put his hand on her shoulder and said, your father killed himself. Get over it. And his family tried to get outside help uh, and they eventually did. And when the outside help analyzes the situation, they determine that it's virtually impossible for him to have killed himself by the way everything was set up. So there was a bullet hole on the wall above him, but the enter wound was in his chest. So essentially, if if all of this sort of happened the way they said it did, he would need to have been sitting in his chair. He would have had to put the gun to his chest, 
point it down at a 30 degree angle. But then because the bullet hole in the wall was above his head, he would have then needed to lean over very far in the chair and then shoot himself. But it would also have been had to have been such a powerful enough blast that it knocked him backward in the chair. That's just impossible to happen. And even let's just say hypothetically that was possible. How many cases have you seen? Like who's going to be depressed to where they're going to set up something like that? If you're depressed and you're going to kill yourself, you're probably just going to do it in a much simpler, easier way than going through something that elaborate. Um, So it just to me, nothing adds up. The problem is there's no evidence to examine, no weapon, no bullets, because it was all cleaned up and covered up. They eventually did find one bullet several days later, and then that mysteriously disappeared. So they are currently going through court systems right now to try and fight this. Um, And I just ask everybody to go to uh, Kerry Owsley Mission for Justice on Facebook, which is ran by his family, and definitely give them the support. All right. Thank you. Tony? Well, there's a documentary called Goodnight Sugar Babe, The Killing of Vera Jo Regal. Now, I don't think on this channel I can really explain it because it's very explicit. Uh, So I'm just going to say y'all should go watch Goodnight Sugar Babe, The Killing of Vera Jo Regal. It's on Amazon Prime and it should be free. Can you give like a very quick description of Vera Jo Regal was uh, sadly murdered um, by a conspiracy of the family that she was staying at her boyfriend's mother's house, which was very cult-like. Everybody was involved in killing her, but only two people killed her. Now, you would think people who conspire to kill go to jail. That's what we all know, right? They go to jail for X amount of time because they're a part of it. They did not go to jail. Only the two people that actually did the killing went to jail. And everybody else was set free. This poor woman was tortured beyond belief. Things I can't even say on YouTube. And um, by everyone. And everybody's free. Everybody's free. And in the documentary, you'll notice everything that they're saying and they're admitting to of what they've done or what they allowed to be done to her yet. It wasn't enough for them to be convicted. And um, yeah, I just think that everybody in that situation should, it should have went to jail and it's always been a strong case that haunted me because of the story. So I do recommend, you know, for the full description to go watch Goodnight sugar, babe, the killing of Vera Jo Regal. Cool. Thank you. All right, Josh. So my true crime story um, was actually part of a case I was part of. It was the murder of Jessica Ridgeway. Um, She passed away October 5th of 2012. Ridgeway was reported missing on the evening of October 5th of 2012 after she failed to return home after school. An Amber Alert was issued. Two days later, her school backpack containing her glasses were found on a sidewalk. And then October 10th, her dismembered body and remains were found in a park in Nevada, Colorado. Uh, During this time, um, I was actually on a search and rescue. I was part of a search and rescue team, and we took care of all the hundreds and hundreds of volunteers that came out to search for this uh, young lady. She was 10 years old when she uh, was killed. 
Um, I won't mention the killer's name because I don't believe in giving him any more media than he, he already has had. Um, he was charged with first degree murder, second degree kidnapping, sexual assault of a child, robbery, sexual exploitation of a child, violent crime times five. When asked, the judge asked him why he did it. His answer was, I wanted to know how it felt to cut up a body. Um, this sick and demented person, he was going to school to become a mortician, you know, and the police, like when they kind of like thought it was him searched his home Well, unpronounced to them, he had her body in a crawl space that wasn't very, you couldn't access it unless you knew it was actually there. So a day later on the day that her, her body was found. He moved her in a trash bag to a park in Arvada and these garbage guys that would go around to pick up, you know, those like bags on the side of the highways. Um, we have some of those like in parks and stuff like that. And he, they went to go pick up this bag and well, things fell out of it. And that's how they ended up finding her. Jessica was this bright, 10 year old that loved to go to school and be the happy cheery person. She loved to sing and dance and, and be all that. And this, this person took her, her life away. Um, I'm friends with the family. He's still keeping contact with them. Um, he's currently in prison. Oh, he was only 17 years old. FYI. Um, he was sentenced November 19th of 2013. He was sentenced to uh, life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. He was charged as an adult, but in the state of Colorado, if you are not 18 years old, um, they cannot sentence you to death, even if you are charged as an adult. Um, on June 2014, they ended up moving him to an undisclosed out-of-state prison to preserve both his and the Ridgeway's family's privacy and safety. It's a sad story. Wow. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. You know, just, you know, I'm just going to make everyone cry this time. <laughs> <laughs> They're all sad stories, though. All right. So we are going to enter our last segment of this episode, and it's called Halloween Traditions. Now, this is a fun segment. Just want to touch base on past Halloweens, what we love about Halloween, all things Halloween. You guys have all gone trick-or-treating when you were little, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what, what candy did you like to get? I remember I loved M&M's. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> and then you always had like the, <laughs> the big candy bars were like, whoa, hit the jackpot. And not just those little <laughs> mini things. <laughs> so. As a kid, we used to have this like uh, place in Florida. We call it the Highlands. It's where the... Oh, yeah. Richie Rich of Far River would uh, go, and so everyone yeah. in the city would go there. <laughs> I remember that, and it was because they would they wouldn't give you like the small little two bite size like Kit Kats. No, they would give you king size Kit Kat bars. <laughs> yep, and like I would walk out, I would walk out of that neighborhood with like two bags top filled with candy. Wow. Skittles are definitely my favorite, but Snickers, like as far as candy bars, um, Snickers are definitely up there too. So it was Reese's and Twix. Love them. Oh, definitely Twix. 
Well, no, I I like other things, but if you're asking what I got excited about, Twix. The Twix, okay. It's all about the Twix. Right or left? <laughs> the left one. I think I remember getting a cough drop once, and I remember getting home and being like, who would put a cough drop in here? But then thinking back, I kind of almost feel bad, because I, I felt like the dude probably just ran out, and he didn't know what to do, so he was just right. picking something. <laughs> and Halloween's so hard. Like, back then when we were a kid, it was, nobody checked our candy, there was no peanut allergies, and if whoever had peanut allergies, we never knew. And now it's like you have to have a a bucket out of candy, regular candy, and then a bucket of you know peanut free allergies, which I totally get. But it's so different now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like like it's like yeah. oh we're we're upgrading new things, which I get. Everybody should enjoy Halloween. Totally. Did you guys use? Um, did you have actual trick or treat bags, or did you use a pillowcase? Pillowcase. Um, Pillowcase. I, I, I think I've used both throughout my life. I know I definitely still have like my old, just just giant orange trick or treat bag with like a bat on it that could hold so much candy. <laughs> or the plastic. We had the plastic pumpkins. You know what I'm talking about? They're the bucket. Pumpkin. Yeah, we, we got the we got the plastic pumpkins because my mom used to work at CVS and she'd get like a discount, but that was like once in a blue moon and we used them for like multiple halloweens yeah or the mcdonald's i remember one halloween where mcdonald's was giving out you know a bucket a shape of a witch the buckets. or a ghost yeah. Yeah. witch yeah uh, also they what's the monster the purple monster there was frankenstein yeah. i think the purple Remus? one was dracula oh yeah, I thought you meant like a like McDonald's that. monster. Oh no, these were like these were like no. generic monsters, like ghosts, which you know. Yeah, I kind of but- remember that. Do you guys have any interesting trick or treat stories? I have an interesting one. So when I was in college, we decided to go trick or treating one on Halloween in Boston, and we ended up trick or treating at John Kerry's house. Uh, who? John Kerry, who ran for president, um, politician. No, I have no idea. No, I don't. In our early 20s, he ran for president against, um, who did he run against? He was Bush. um, He had to be running against Bush. Yeah, he ran against Bush, but he was also Bush's secretary of state. He currently is ambassador to, I think, the UN or something like that. Look at you. No, I don't know who he is. I have no. I, I he never, was also I governor. I didn't get into politics until COVID. Well, no, you didn't have to be into politics to know who he was and see his face everywhere. If you looked him up, you might recognize him. Um, but we went there, and everyone was saying it was his house because uh, he lived like in um, Beacon Hill, which is yeah. in ritzy part of Boston. And we were all like trying to get there, and he just had some woman sitting on the steps giving away. He wouldn't even let you go up to his door. Yeah, but other than that, I mean, it's pretty standard. I went up to random doors, said trick or treat, opened my bag, and they dumped some candy in. <laughs> oh my god! The one time a year where you're, it was okay to talk to strangers. Yeah, it's right. not like that anymore. And like you remember, like your parents would pull up to like the end of the block drop you off and be like, I'll meet you at the other end. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're the last generation of that. Yeah. It's just, you know, I guess the biggest horror in this world are humans. 
Yeah. <laughs> you have, but, the, like, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you mentioned checking candy, I remember it's hard for me to remember if this actually happened or if it was like a nightmare, but I know it's a memory I have where I got an apple and there was a needle inside. <laughs> oh, that was on the news a lot was as a it? kid. So it, it must was, have happened yeah. really because I remember like it was an apple and, and then we were just like, oh, well, who would give you an apple? Let's just slice it just to make sure, joking. And then we, and there was like a needle in it. Or not a needle, yeah. but like like a pin thing. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. No, that was going that was going on in Bristol County. I remember. Okay, so that, that must have news. been real. Then it's just a very vague yeah. memory I have. Yeah, I just wasn't sure if it was real. Cause, yeah, yeah, after after that year, that year, my parents started like checking my candy. That's just terrible. Like, who would do that to a kid? <laughs> Well, you know, it's like that old, you know, everybody thinks it's an urban legend, but it's a true story. There was a man who tampered with his son's candy. And, you know, I I don't know his name, but you can Google it. Um, And he was the first to make people go, oh, check the candy. And this happened like in the 70s. And he ended up killing like, as far as I remember, he ended up killing like half the neighborhood kids. And it so was he was, you mean they started checking the candy because of him? Because of him. And then but it not, got pop- not him checking it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then it became a staple of, you know, check, you know, Halloween candy because, you know, it could happen again. And people are mean. People can be mean to kids. And who's in, in you, they think, what parent in 2021 who's during a pandemic is going to check everybody's, you know, every piece of candy? And people can be assholes. Yeah. You guys have a favorite Halloween costume you ever wore? I was Ariel from The Little Mermaid. I think every little girl my age was that. Um, I was Ghostface at one point. <laughs> Annie. You remember Annie from the movie? Little Annie, Orphan Annie? Oh, yeah. Little Orphan yeah. Annie, yeah. yeah. I was her. Um, Bride of Frankenstein. That was a cool one. And actually, in the last couple of years, I was a paper doll. <laughs> you know, like those little paper dolls when you were a little? Yeah. Little? You, you take them out of the things and, yeah, you know, check that. All I have to say is this year I'm getting payback for all the other Halloweens where I was scared poopless <laughs> being chased by a chainsaw. That's all I have to say. <laughs> payback. I'm going to scar some little kid. What were your favorite costumes? Uh, my favorite I would dress up as a cop every year. A cop? I, when I was young, yep. When I was young, I was fascinated with police. Wow. Right. My dad was a cop. My uncle was a cop that was killed on line of duty. You know, so like it was just something that you know it was easy to do. Yeah. It, just wearing one of my dad's old shirts, and my family wasn't like, "Oh, we're gonna go buy you a costume." No, it was like, "What do we have in the house to make you a costume?" Yeah. Derek, you have a favorite costume? Yeah, um, my Michael Myers costume, and then I was also Ghostface, but it was the one that you had like the little heart that you'd put on your costume, you'd pump it, and the blood would go through the mask. Yeah, it was my favorite. <laughs> Halloween was my excuse to be who I was, so I was always a male character, and I was either Zorro or Zorro, Zorro. was Zorro was really big in my house. I think it was. 
I don't know. It was just really big in my house. And uh, so I was Zoro one year. I was a knight another year. And there's like a picture of me and my siblings. And I think my mom wanted us all to be clowns. <laughs> and so both my older sister and little sister are dressed up as clowns. And there's me at the end in all black with a Zoro mask and a mustache. And I'm like, yeah. So I remember, I remember that. Um, but yeah, I, it, I just dressed up as any male character there could be. That was my excuse. I mean, they do say Halloween is for people like me. So I, t- I took full advantage of it. I still do today. So, okay, scariest thing you own. I'd say mine is Ouija board. I have it in storage back home, though. I don't touch it. (laughs) (laughs) I have one as well, but the scariest thing I own is definitely my Chucky and Tiffany dolls. (laughs) My house is filled with Halloween decorations 365 days out of the year. I have a three-foot skeleton behind me right now, but anything that's petrifying scary? No, no, I don't keep that in my house. All right, so last question. How will you be spending this year's Halloween? Uh, I'll probably be binging horror movies, maybe eating some candy. Sounds good to me. (laughs) I will be working, but the night before, I am attending a Halloween party. Nice. Are you dressing up? Yes. I'm bringing a chainsaw with me. (laughs) (laughs) Really, this Halloween I work, so it's the biggest you know time of the year. So I'll be DJing, and probably after I'll watch some horror movies and have some snacks and or go live streaming some horror video games. Nice. All right. So if people want to find out more about you, where can they go? Do you have social media? What do you want to give them? If you want to come check us out, we run the Horde uh, live stream page. Um, and also Wolfpack Gaming. I'm under the Facebook page Zero to Manic. You can find me on any social media platform down to Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Instagram under Zero to the number two to Manic. Zero to Manic. So spelled out zero, Z E R O. Yeah, Z E R O, the number two, and M A N I C, Manic. Cool. Derek? Uh, yeah, you guys can find me uh, pretty much on any social media, but specifically YouTube at Sinister Games, which is all one word, S-I-N-I-S-T-E-R-G-A-M-E-Z. Cool. Josh? Yeah, you can find me over at Wolfpack Gaming, at Wolfpack Gaming 123 on Facebook uh, and TikTok. And I don't have a Twitter yet, but that's my next goal. Yeah. Come and join us. Have some fun. You can also find the paranormal page at Bridgewater Triangle Paranormal Society and Investigations uh, right there on Facebook. Cool. All right. So Stephen King said we make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones. So I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this very lengthy, uh, very special Halloween episode. Yeah, you guys gave some really uh, awesome opinions about all these movies and gave information about paranormal stuff and all of that. And I think think it's a really good uh, asset to a special Halloween episode. So thank you guys so much for being a part of it. I love you guys. You guys are the best. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much for inviting us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Very happy Halloween, you guys. 
and a happy new year. <laughs> Be safe, everyone. And before I end the episode, like I usually do, I'm going to end with a relative quote. And this one's about Halloween, and it's kind of long, but I think it's really cool. It's from writer Steve Almond. But I can think of nothing on earth so beautiful as the final haul on Halloween night, which for me was 10 to 15 pounds of candy, a riot of colored wrappers and hopeful fonts, snub-nosed chocolate bars and sweet tarts, the seductive rattle of juji fruits and good and plenty, and lollipop sticks all akimbo, the foily ends of mini lifesavers packs twinkling like dimes, and a thick sugary perfume rising up from the pillowcase. Happy Halloween, guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs> okay, you guys. <laughs> Whoa! Yay! Yay.